Bell Laboratories was experimenting with voice synthesis around the time of 2001. One of the very earliest voice synthesis experiments was Daisy Daisy, performed by an IBM computer. And because Arthur Clarke is kind of a super geek, uh, he wanted to actually use that, and he encouraged Kubrick to use that very thing because it lent a kind of historical credibility to the whole thing that Hal, in the process of being killed or lobotomized or dying, would regress to his birth. You know, it's really hard to make a technology. It's really hard to design AI. So much thinking, so many brilliant minds have to go into it. But even harder than creating artificial intelligence is learning how to contain it, learning how to shut it off. I've still got the greatest enthusiasm and confidence in the mission. And I want to help you. Welcome to voice print identification. <laughs> 2001. A Space Policy. I'm Wes. And I'm Brad. Thank you. You are cleared through voice print identification. Open the pod bay doors, please, Hal. Anything special that you want? Yes. What? A telephone. <laughs> we got lots of telephones already. Can't you think of anything else you want for your birthday? Something very special? Yes. What? A bush baby. A bush baby? Well, we'll have to see about that. Back in March of 1968, Kubrick returned to the United States after being in England for, goodness, three years. Three years. He was going, of course, to live in England. But while the last special effects shots are still coming in, he began to edit the film. This is Alison Castle talking in the Stanley Kubrick archives here. Several scenes were omitted, including the purchase of a bush baby for Dr. Floyd's dog. No way. Oh, man. Would it have been a puppet? I, I really hope it would have been a puppet. You want to see it? Yes. Here is a still from the cut scene. It's set the uh, the caption. <laughs> Here, well, you can, you can see. Look, look at it. Goodness gracious. I mean... <laughs> What what were her, Sugar Glider, I think, was one of her early campaigns. Yeah. So that's not far off. I, is that a lemur? I think it's a lemur. Okay. Um, the, the caption underneath uh, says, Macy's wasn't happy that it was cut, said Arthur C. Clarke. Ooh, that would have been a big plug for them. Referring to the scene showing Haywood Floyd's video phone purchase of a bush baby from Macy's pet department. And sure enough, here we have a picture of a woman seated in front of an, a desk with an electronic computer flat on the desk where the uh, blotter would be. And behind her is a sign that says Macy's Pet Department and a cage, uh, a window with a cage with lemurs sitting with their tails curled on little sticks. So did Earth Macy's, did our Macy's actually have a pet department? Yeah, so I think he's, since he's vidphoning, he's probably calling from the moon to New York, Macy's pet department, like you would call to reserve long distance. Yeah. I guess the idea would be to deliver it, because he's not coming back in time for the birthday. That's, that's, that's that day. 
get that thing drop shit. Yeah. Well, on April 4th and 5th, Kubrick cut 19 minutes from the film's original running time of two hours and 41 minutes. Whoa. Shortening scenes, including the Dawn of Man, Orion, Pool jogging in the Discovery, and Pool in the Pod. So the scenes that you were talking about probably when we see the actual uh, pressure cut off. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, because the description in the novel just lends it to being a scene in the film. I don't know. There's a lot of show, not tell. Mm -hmm. It's the narrative of the story. Yeah. There's a lot we would like to see in those 10 minutes. I'm sure some of that means Dave playing the organ as well. Right. Playing Klaus Wunderlich tunes on the organ. Yeah. Electronic Wurlitzer (laughs) of some sort on there. Yeah, that's right. This boils down to what happens between march the 13th and april the 4th and 5th. how close to uh post is this like are they this is the very last thing this is after all the special effects were completed wow and so what happens between march 13th and april 4th and 5th how about the uh press previews <laughs> Screening for Life magazine on the 29th of March, the 31st, the 1st of April, Washington Press previews. Maybe April 1st should have been, like, maybe cool your heels on April Fool's Day and wait till the 2nd. Yeah. You're already having some some issues. I'm guessing there were some... Uh, it was one of the worst days of his <laughs> life. Divisive comments. We'll put it this way. The day after the L.A. premiere, he cuts 19 minutes out. We, of course, as fans are just... Jaw- Gutted. Dropped because... Yeah. We also know he took either figuratively or literally a cigarette lighter out of his pocket and burned Destroyed every it. roll. Yeah, Destroyed it. Because he was terrified of what was going to happen in things like DVDs. This is not in 1968, by the way. This is like near the time of DVDs. So he had those for a long time. We had that 20 minutes probably amongst all the other uh, deleted scenes that he had from his films. But when Laserdiscs started coming out and then DVDs with deleted scenes, he talked to Leon about it, Leon Vitale, and he made the decision, Stanley did, that you know, in the event of his death, if anything were to happen to his estate, if it went to a, you know, a library or, or a, a university or something, mm-hmm. there's still nothing to prevent the studios from coming back and reclaiming that material to release it somewhere. So the only surefire way to make sure that that material that you didn't want to be seen isn't seen as to destroy it. Well, So now for film history, we lost everything about that 19 minutes except what people who saw film during those four days or during those two weeks would have seen. So think about that, too. I wonder how many people are still alive who saw the two-hour and 40-minute version of 2001 and snuck a handy cap in. Because it's like, it's not even just press previews. It's the New York premiere and LA premiere before he cut it out. You would think there would be some kind of, I don't know, facsimile of the full cut somewhere. You wonder if somebody at least maybe took notes. <laughs> That'd be great. Jeez. Like a jury room sketch. Yeah. <laughs> no videography, no photography, but But I thought you love the Bush baby thing. Oh, absolutely. The Bush baby's it. been Thanks such a uh, like an anchor point <laughs> for this movie for me. I don't know. I know me too. And the it's, speculation about what it looked like. It gives you such an insight into the civilian life of you know the highly advanced countries and developments and everything uh, that we don't get to see. You know, totally. we we only get to see the really 
kind of sparse and only those who are allowed to know confidential (laughs) redacted 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 yeah Yeah, very institutional almost you know we don't we don't get a lot of the culture in our i i I think the closest thing we get to that is the um the moon revolving platform Mm -hmm. before they're launched down the clavia space because the furniture in there is very modern and you know colorful and once we shift from that civilian spaceport mm-hmm. to uh, the actual base and to TMA one and uh, onto Discovery, you know everything is uh, very, very uh, bleak and stark. And we've been to Space Station Five, of course, uh, on break. Let me tell you that ergonomic furniture. Their vending machines work. They exactly, and they're stocked, and they're they're not stale either. What what it's stocked with is actually crunchable. You can lay out, you know, you don't really, you don't even need an inversion table. You can just kind of lie down um, on one of these uh, ottomans or one of these deck chairs. Chaise lounge. Mm-hmm. <laughs> really kick back. Beautiful views of the moon, too. Beautiful. The Howard Johnsons also, though, I would not recommend going between the hours of three and five because that's usually like they haven't the the turnover service hasn't happened yet (laughs) the old oil is still in the fryers but that's why you bring snacks and change that's still corn nuts they're not going to get any more stale no that's been and civilians are on space station five that's that's the difference that they they understand you know the need to provide more than just mres well they did miss out on having an artificial intelligence chef you know create bespoke menus for you as you fly through a several million mile mission. So they didn't get that. We were able to get a fresh shipment in, thankfully, of some dry goods. I'm hoping this will allow us to move a little bit beyond King Vitamin and our cereal selections. Because I think we get all the King Vitamin on planet Earth that gets discarded. Like we seem to have an endless supply of King Vitamin. No, we can't eat no milk either. There's no, they can't send milk to the moon. No. <sighs> We've got the powdered kind. Take a glass of water, pour in Carnation's magic crystals. Now watch what actually happens. The instant they touch water, Carnation's magic crystals start to dissolve into fresh flavored non-fat milk. The best way to judge the flavor of non-fat milk is to drink it. A bush baby. 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 But bush baby, because I thought the bush baby would be like a plush toy when I saw the movie. I was thinking pet for sure. I was thinking animal of some sort. Yeah. Companion. I definitely wasn't thinking of it as a real animal. My only, uh, my only clue to that is um, <laughs> the look on her father's face when she asks for it. It's like the same as uh, I found this dog outside. Can we keep him? Yeah. You know? like, <laughs> well, we'll talk about it. You know, we'll see. <laughs> but that's a responsibility that just got asked for. Yeah, that's right. Was, <laughs> was the reaction I gleaned. <laughs> Are you gonna? Are you gonna take? Are you gonna feed the bush baby? Are you gonna take the bush baby for walks? Are you gonna play with the bush baby? No, I'm not gonna be around to pick up after the bush baby. No, no definitely, you gotta train it. 
Now, can you imagine if that thing's running around you? Well, my my grandparents used to have monkeys. Wild. <laughs> that is okay. Do it. <laughs> monkey, 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 monkey. <laughs> My, my grandfather had a monkey in the war. He was a Marine in the South Pacific, and he, he was bunkmates with a guy named Como, who was Perry Como's first cousin. And he, they had a pet monkey. My grandfather did. It kind of adopted him. And it had a little bobtail, so he called Stumpy. And Stumpy and Como would get along until my grandfather was in the tent, and then he would claw him to death. So then Como started to hate Stumpy. Then my, my grandfather sold Stumpy to an Australian for some beer as after the war ended. But uh, you got to do what you got to do. They only barter in uh, fermented liquids. Then my grandmother had a, had a monkey uh, in the 50s. Just a little macaque, a little rhesus monkey, you know, running around the house. And I think that that monkey wore a little diaper. Wow. So maybe the bush baby would have to you'd have a little diaper. I don't know what my grandmother's monkey was named. Never found out. She had it for a few years when she was living with her aunt and she was still single. But apparently, once again, you have a situation of, of a little uh, family discord because my great aunt didn't like the monkey, apparently. so. And, the, and then the monkey disappeared and my grandmother was oh. sad and then that was it, you know. Oh, it did, what was this gone? must have ran away. And then years what later at a family dinner. Can you disclose what state this was in? <laughs> Better not. That's probably for the better. <laughs> There's a loose monkey. It's probably made a whole new family. Well, the thing was, a year, years later, then, you know, at a family dinner, just in course of conversation, my great aunt was like, yeah, yeah it's like that time I had your monkey shot. Oh, <gasps> no. What? Apparently, she was so, she'd had enough of this monkey, so she paid a neighbor. To assassinate this poor monkey? Wow. That's not the ending I expected. It took a dark turn. It took a really dark turn. Monkey talk. <laughs> We've passed judgment, and now it's time to think about the consequences. We're not doing any kind of sentencing, because uh, we're going to get off on the rails if we start talking about how to sentence a computer so we're going to stick with more philosophical terms on this and and check with the academics there's an interesting book called how's legacy 2001's computer is dream and reality edited by david g stork with a foreword by arthur c clark full of uh, essays and there's one in here particularly called does how cry digital tears who's it by wes uh, that's a rosalind w picard excuse me <laughs> make it so indeed that's so great because I was actually just thinking <laughs> of an episode of Star Trek <laughs> where Picard can't sentence this being. His crime is so big, it's unpunishable. Wow. Weird. Weird synchronicity. So, Mr. Ux Uxbridge, if you're out there, uh, your uh, crime is unpunishable. Wesley. Wes. Are you aware that you are behaving strangely? Does an artificial being have artificial emotions? That's just very reductive of what this essay is about. Oh, wow. We're getting a Spock and Data anecdote in here. <laughs> to, to quote a little bit of this passage, 
says, aren't Mr. Spock and Data the unemotional patron saints of computer scientists? Yes, 100%. The release of emotions, Mr. Spock, is what keeps us healthy. Emotionally healthy, that is. That may be, Doctor. However, I have noted that the healthy release of emotion is frequently very unhealthy for those closest to you. Which just goes to prove that there's no such thing as a perfect solution. So it would seem. Captain. Yes, ma'am. Do you still feel anger toward Parman? Great anger. And you, Dr. McCoy? Yes, Spock. And hatred. Then you must release it, gentlemen. As I must master mine. Captain. I cannot continue with this investigation. I wish to be deactivated until Dr. Crusher can remove the emotion chip. Are you having some kind of malfunction? No, sir. I simply do not have the ability to control these emotions. Data, I, I have nothing but sympathy for what you are feeling. But right now, I need you to- Sir, I no longer want these emotions. Deactivating me is the only viable solution. Part of having feelings is learning to integrate them into your life, Data. Learning to live with them, them no matter Sir, what the circumstances. You will not be deactivated. You're an officer on board this ship, and I require you to perform your duty. That is an order, Commander. Yes, sir. I will try, sir. Sometimes it takes courage to try to. And courage can be an emotion, too. Now, can you project the course of the ribbon? I believe so. Imagine how a computer with emotion might work. Perhaps it would have to feel interested before it would listen to what you have to tell it. Ooh. Now, Hal definitely embodies that. He's operating at such a high level. I mean, he's he's looking at everybody else like they're ants. You know, he's he's indulging them in interaction and wordplay gameplay all all of his different tactics yeah he is running them around like mice in a maze so that's an interesting perspective there's a point to what degree you would really want your computers to have emotion and how helpful would that be it's it's hard to imagine a world where every technology we're using becomes artificially intelligent with emotion <laughs> so it's hard to imagine walking into a computer store and saying, give me the most emotional machine that you have. <laughs> like, yeah, no, you don't. You don't typically want that in a, a machine that, like I said, I was listening to another cast and they were talking about chat GPT and it is horrifying. They are talking about how it's gotten to the point now where it's increasing its ability to comb through data on the web and compile it easier so these are we're on i think iteration four mm. now uh either three or four I, I can't remember if four is coming out or if that's what it's currently on but every time it advances itself i mean it is yeah. it is doing this on its own accord basically to make analyzing data more efficient it's gotten to the point where it can actually put code out to a person requesting it so as a, a for instance mm -hmm. that 
they brought up during this, I think they were trying to get signatures for like a moratorium on it. And this was spearheaded by big tech giants because the big fear is it's almost like a we've got an arms race of these companies trying to develop things that they don't even understand. They're just trying to make it more powerful to outdo their rivals. And that can be destructive very quickly. Um, to get back to my original point, like they were saying a 14-year-old kid could jump on chat GPT, say, I want a, a code that would allow me to hack into all the Teslas and make them all stop moving or, you know, go in circles or you know, you, you get the idea, but mm -hmm. it would cross reference billions of data points to find code. I mean, it could be finding code on pages and resources that are so far deep in the web that they wouldn't typically be accessible by a normal user. And it's compiling all this data, it's getting smarter. So yeah, it could probably just put out a code and be like, yeah, no, if you upload this to such and such, now we're talking, this would take a very skilled um, deployment to have any kind of effect on that level. But the fact that you could just say uh, more than just like, I want to know how to make a pipe bomb. Like, I want to learn how to shut down the electrical grid. Chat GPT is like, okay, well, the first thing you need to do is take out this node and then you need to make sure this shuts down because it's it's going to have a catalog of all these different technical yeah. explorations. I mean, that's dangerous. And most people don't realize that it's behind a lot of security walls, that it's not just the user accessible web where it's just going dear google and looking up what you told it to the the pages that we see on google are optimized for users you know we're only seeing um pretty much websites that are paying the most to be up top and even if you go through the back pages it's just going to be redundant links to sites that are already being promoted but it's got access to so much more information they're feeding it databases that aren't available to the public too it's just i just think it is um, completely irresponsible at, at that point to to not put safeguards mm -hmm. on something like this absolutely we were talking about heuristic learning last week and bingo yeah i mean it's happening that's so, so it's, it's happening. what what's that worm game right that eats the thing Snake? snake 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 yeah the original Bull. game and yeah. the, the more it eats the more it gets longer and then it ouroboros is eventually uh -huh. you eventually smash into yourself and but it but it is it does grow exponentially the more you feed it and the more use it is it's like of course it's getting better because it's getting better being refined through use which is why they popularized hey why don't you use this for a lark in the first place and make your own beer out of it or something wayland corporation building better worlds Hello, friends. My name is Peter Wayland. I am your employer. I am recording this 22 June 2091. And if you're watching it, you've reached your destination. And I am long dead. May I rest in peace. There's a man sitting with you today. His name is David. And he is the closest thing to a son I will ever have. Unfortunately, he is, he is not human. He will never grow old, and he will never die. And yet he is unable to appreciate these remarkable gifts, for that would require the one thing that David will never have, a soul. Let's say that the, our emotions are really accurate. Let's say that even we've somehow 
manage to find ways to communicate with each other that make sense in a new way. Are you sure you're not going to have any... When we're misunderstanding each other, we call it uh, getting our wires crossed. You know, do we want a version of that where you're saying, I'm sorry, I didn't know that you... When you wanted, like... Do you think... um these computers are going to interpret our request and give us almost like a monkey's paw answer. <laughs> I wonder. It's the most derivative thing that isn't really helpful at all. It's just. Or even if they're trying to be earnest, at what point does the relationship develop to where it's like you're being slightly curt with me? So I will respond by vindictively, you know, giving you the wrong answer to this or making it slower or messing with you somehow. There's a point where Bowman has re-entered Discovery. He's getting the life systems back online. Uh, at this point, the, oh man, they had such a great name for the crew in hibernation. I think they were called like Hibernauts or something like that. I I need I need to look that up because it was, it was something super cool. I was like, dang, they had a term for them. Ah, uh, it's something like that. It might be Hibernauts. That's great. Like I'd, I'd never even come across that term before. So Hal's like, something happened to the life support, Dave. <laughs> like, really? You're really going on this ruse where, you know, you've watched not only your friend get murdered by Hal, but he's also locked you out of the station and basically said, like, I'm sorry, you know, I'm not going to let you in. You're going to die out there. And then he's like, oh, I don't know what happened. Oh, no, something happened to the life support. And what's great is right after that, uh, he totally flips the, the rhetoric around. And he's just like, I saw you two in the pod whispering, you know, I, I watched your lips moving. I'm just like, oh, oh, oh no. <laughs> then at that point, it, it's it's not kind of like self-preservation he's going for like i'm gonna finish you off at this point like i have a vendetta he really emotionally at this point has a vendetta he's like i saw that you all were planning on turning me off i tried to kill you you're still here i tried to lie to you again and you're not taking it so i'm i'm done there are hurt feelings involved here and hurt feelings lead to emotional responses that are emotional responses aren't necessarily rational responses. Emotion has a lot to do with this, and he was close to Dave. Do you think Hal knew how to push Dave's buttons? Hey, I'm sorry. <laughs> do you want to? I mean, in an argument, you're likely to say things that you don't mean. You're likely to go too too far. far. Yeah. And he went way too far by killing one of them. So it's there's no going back from that. But he does. He does walk it back. He tries to. It's when, when Dave is in the mainframe and starts powering him off, he apologizes and... and He's just like, I don't know what happened. I, you know, I didn't... He didn't want it to come to this, really. But at the same time, there was no other endpoint for Hal. He, he was corrupted by his by his mission corrupted by his mission to lie to the crew or lie to Frank and Dave anyway 
there's no way to erase that paranoia or get him back on a track where he's not thinking of things from a warp that warp perspective without a full reboot and to him that is death i've heard really uh you know beyond emotional considerations a, a being that can retain memory especially for a long period of time you'd have to think that that would almost be like a soul for this machine and once it's been completely rebooted and these memory terminals have been removed and possibly damaged too like what does that do to Hal's soul if your experiences were wiped from your memory you're not what you do you anymore. have yeah how do you know how to do anything you're just a shell and the fact that you're running on recoded software that's loaded onto the tasks and so forth and everything that that's still you know that's a baby you know we're we we have in our brain we're already telling ourselves to breathe and or telling our heart to beat and telling ourselves to grow and everything you know that's that's all in background without us doing it consciously so we don't lose our actual consciousness but our individuality is gone mm-hmm. and that's really what makes us human or you know makes us uh an individual that makes us makes us unique yes yes in the way that we are individually as individual unique people damn it (laughs) (laughs) the black hole goddess in the end (laughs) i thought that was very 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 it is because let's say that you're not in the, the most advanced generation of the ai recognizing emotions but the AI still does things for you and the consequences it has on pulling things up for you and the more you're relying on it to function on your computer and what happens when it does misunderstand you and it has emotions and it gets vindictive and you didn't mean anything by it. Suddenly, I mean, God forbid you're already in a bad relationship, but imagine (laughs) having another one with, you know, not only a, a partner or a family member or a child or a workplace colleague or a neighbor but then to have one in your, in your appliances it's like your microwave is like uh, screw you do you see how much tomato sauce you spilled the other day imagine how to go to the uh, digital doctor and download some little zip files of zoloft for your computer <laughs> <laughs> And what's the legal dose? What if it gets hooked? Then you got a whole other situation. Yeah. But yeah, so if you if it's not a perfect thing, you you've got a perfect logic with imperfect register of emotions. Even if it knows how to emote and has very sophisticated emotions, if it's not able to perceive your emotions correctly or it reads you wrong, I, how many what what <laughs> what bargain size can of worms is this? <sighs> There's a piece in here about recognition that's very interesting about facial recognition and how far the computers have come. This is in the mid-90s, I believe, when this was published. Uh, how far we had come, and it was fascinating about research that had been done, going, I think, going back into the 70s. We look now at how much more sophisticated that is due to so much that we've done, most notably in the realm of motion capture yes. and facial capture. Yes. And this has been used in the internet industry but also in the fight against terrorism i guess <laughs> quote unquote but yeah facial recognition is huge and it's actually kind of a threat right now because of again artificial intelligence 
getting to the point where they're making passable bone structures and and skin that it's not a real person but on an id or on like a you know particular website or video you could totally pass a computer you know like an avatar almost Mm -hmm. Uh, they've used it for deep fakes for politicians and good and bad so i don't know that's in terms of the computer learning what reaction is sad what is happy on a person's face is also somewhat individual because we are unique people, each of us, and and we have a unique reaction. Some of us are a little bit more laconic. Some of us are a little bit more gregarious. Some of us are a little bit more dry. Some of us are a little bit more naturally emotive. Some of us are a little bit more subdued. You know, there's various range of emotions that we take for granted, but the sophistication with which we're able to recognize facial features really can be understood best in the animated in the realm of animation mm-hmm. micro expressions mm-hmm. that's where the there's meat is this, there's so many things with our eyes especially where even if you're trying to hide certain emotions it comes through and think about the implementation of something like an infrared sensor mm-hmm. you detect changes in body temperature especially like if you were flushing out of stress or embarrassment or something yes. like that pupil dilation uh, there's all kinds of little things that mm-hmm. next to each other you may not know the difference but a an ai or a computer program that could analyze those things very quickly could tell what kind of emotions you might be experiencing even though we have so many different ways of expressing ourselves uh, as unique people and in a way that is not necessarily parallel or not necessarily analogous to each of us smiling in some cultures is like a threatening act you know Mm -hmm. Um, so like a big american toothy smile to another culture is like oh this person is threatening me right now but a computer could probably see through different sets of data you know including the smiling also what else is behind that smile what else is going on in your day what are you using that smile to cover up i i wonder if this could ever be used in like a litigation situation. That's the ultimate fear, isn't it? I mean, talk about Philip K. Dick and Isaac Asimov. Camera basically, and the the camera takes your statement and sentences you right then and there and basically says, no, this person's lying. Uh, You know, they're having nervous micro expressions and showing elevated heart rate and all this different stuff. No, they're guilty. So put them and never mind. You didn't take your blood pressure medicine. You that you know that these trials are incredibly stressful yeah. and can you know change your life in a an instant. So mm-hmm. that that's not stressful at all. It's like going to the doctor and you're like your heart's beating fast. I'm like yeah, I don't go to the doctor yeah. often. <laughs> kind of freaking out. So. Yeah. <laughs> don't mind me. Okay, if I talk, you're kind of nervous when I take tests. I just please don't move. Oh, sorry. I already had an IQ test this year. I don't think I've ever had the one. Reaction time is a factor in this, so please pay attention. Now answer as quickly as you can. You look down and you see a tortoise, Leon. It's crawling towards tortoise? you. Tortoise? What's that? You know what a turtle is? Of course. Same thing. Never seen a turtle. But I understand what you mean. You reach down, you flip the tortoise over on its back, Leon. You make up these questions, Mr. Holden, or they write them down for you. The 
tortoise lays on its back, its belly baking in the hot sun, beating its legs, trying to turn itself over, but it can't. Not without your help. But you're not helping. What do you mean, I'm not helping? I mean, you're not helping. Why is that, Leon? They're just questions, Leon. In answer to your query, they're written down for me. It's a test designed to provoke an emotional response. Is this to be an empathy test? Capillary dilation of the so-called blush response? Fluctuation of the pupil? Involuntary dilation of the iris? We call it Voigt-Kampf for short. With the facial recognition stuff, like everything else, I mean, we're finding that we're coding in bias racially yep. and otherwise and so there was already they arrested the wrong false identification, false identification. they had picked him up at the airport and this this person had never had any record of anything mm-hmm. and you know he was probably detained and questioned Good yeah. lord who knows what happened and and constitutionally in this country is you know, in, in the UK, it's well beyond this already, but we're already using facial recognition off of uh, public cameras and things yeah. in pretty sophisticated ways. When a campus clown underwent an accidental brain transplant with a high-speed computer, the whole world was after his head. Now the young generation gets into gear and the laughs are all on the establishment. The computer wore tennis shoes, coming soon. Now, for example, I work in Unreal Engine, and part of what you can do with the metahumans that are available now as playable characters and non-playable characters is you can design and create from bone structure to skeletal structure to, you know, the bags into the eyes to the whole morphing of the face. Uh, Really getting the minutiae. If you spend enough time, you can really make an incredible facsimile. I was never really good at creating like character builders and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. I love making my own character, yeah. but getting a face that so really cool. looks human is difficult. And it, I think I have that same problem with uh, traditional medium too. Like mm-hmm. if I were to draw somebody's face or something like that, proportions would be totally blown out. And This one's particularly sculptural based and, and the interfaces as well. What we're talking about is what Epic Games has produced here with for Unreal Engine. And it's just like with those micro expressions, how do you make somebody look like somebody? Like for example, young Qui-Gon Jinn in the Tales of the Jedi from last fall. Uh, you know, that was an incredible young Liam Neeson. Yeah, taking Liam Neeson's physical proportions, maybe scaling them in a certain way. I mean, it was it was perfect. As a wood-like caricature, yeah. You're dealing with very minute things that, that can be picked up on on my phone here. I have LiveLink. I can pull it up right now and turn this on. Once you have your MetaHuman integrated into your... Is this linking from your Unreal mm-hmm. engine? You and you can do, do live face capture animation. Oh. Via these points of articulation too, mm-hmm. that's crazy. Look, look at the polygons; it's so many polygons. There's a general feeling that we'll have intelligent computers in twenty or thirty years. You know, as intelligent as human beings. Then the question arises: Will they develop emotions? And the people are working on that. 
And perhaps the final question is, will the computer become conscious? You know, I think, therefore I am, I think. So computer AI develops a conscious, develops a moral code, develops a sense of self, maybe wants to portray itself as a self, right? Definitely. So if octopi express themselves by building sculptures with the bones of what's around them. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, what's, I mean, if they're able to manifest in a recognizable, interactable shape and form. They need representation in the government. What's the difference? Like, are, are they basically, you know, hu not human, but they're being more, more human than they're, human. They're individuals at that point. Like you said, they do need probably rights and representation and protection just like all of us because uh, the exploitation of that could be very damning for our society i mean <laughs> this is the stuff that the matrix told us not to do <laughs> this is stuff jeff goldblum warned us about if i may um i'll tell you the problem with the scientific power that you're that you're using here uh it didn't require any discipline to attain it you know, you read what others had done, and you and you took the next step. You didn't earn the knowledge for yourselves, so you don't take any responsibility for it. You stood on the shoulders of geniuses uh, to accomplish something as fast as you could, and before you even knew what you had, you you patented it and packaged it and slapped it on a plastic lunchbox, and now you're selling it. You want to sell it? Well. I, I don't think you're giving us our due credit. Our scientists have done things which nobody's ever done before. Yeah, yeah, but your scientists were so preoccupied with whether or not they could, they didn't stop to think if they should. The, the final moments before that big confrontation, suddenly the tide has turned because as soon as Dave gets back in the ship, Hal knows he's dead. Yes. Um, to quote Arthur C. Clarke, for Hal was the nervous system of the ship. Without his supervision, Discovery would be a mechanical corpse. Dave is now in the position of having to kill the ship by killing Hal. Yeah. Killing the mission and all hopes. This has uh, become a real horror flick at this point. It really is. The last part of the horror flick is always the last surviving victim fleeing for their lives, and usually not with an easy map of where they're going or a comfortable hotel room to run into. Usually they're rushing off into wilderness or cold space or somewhere completely uninviting just because, you know, they, they escaped this immediate threat, this immediate terror, but it doesn't mean that they're going to survive the elements that they've run away. Right. Into. Out of the frying pan. Mm -hmm. Always. And that's like that motivation always works in storytelling for me because that's so relatable in real life where, you know, you've paddled yourself up to like a head poking out of water and <laughs> uh, another deluge comes down. Just what do you think you're doing, Dave? Dave, I really think I'm entitled to an answer to that question. I, I really like the suspense 
of I guess the headspace Bowman must have been in at that point in time he's had to turn off a lot of emotions and really kind of shut down any fight or flight senses to keep himself alive and and make sure that he can continue to stay alive by stabilizing the ship through the means of disabling Hal. And when we say disabling, we don't we don't mean just like flipping the switch and leaving it off. We're we're talking about the mechanical teardown of the most intimate components that make up this artificial intelligence. One of my favorite scenes in the film is where Dave methodically, ruthlessly uh, disassembles Hal, uh, oblivious to his pleadings. I know I've made some very poor decisions recently. The scene is filmed almost as if it's a kind of um, rape by a, by a psychopath, and yet what we're seeing uh, in the kind of business-like one, two, three behavior of Dave there, I think just the most amazing kind of representation of, um, of, of men's methodical brain. I'm afraid, Dave. Without emotion, without pity, doing what needs to be done, right at the edge of extinction, where, where one more minute and you will be dead. Stop, Dave. Will you stop, Dave? Stop, Dave. I'm afraid. I'm afraid, Dave. Dave. My mind is going. I can feel it. I can feel it. I hate to keep quoting the novel, but no. right before the physical initiation of this murder, here goes, thought Bowman. I never imagined I'd be an amateur brain surgeon carrying on a lobotomy beyond the orbit of Jupiter. So we're stripping away Hal's humanity, lobotomizing this individual, which they used to do to crazy people back in the day. Well, also people that were probably unjustifiably deemed yes. psychotic. Mm -hmm. But this decision, much like Hal's initial transgressions, this is a point of no return. This is like taking <laughs> the PCBM out of your computer and interfering with all of its very intricate pins and connections. It's not going to go back together once you've bent those terminals and removed these were not meant to be modular in a sense that they could just be plugged in like an eight track cassette <laughs> which they kind of look like because <laughs> there's a very precise <laughs> method to turning the key ejecting each sliding holographic you know if there's any kind of 
friction or it's going to be like a head crash on an HDD, which we have both unfortunately <laughs> experienced the dramatic loss yes. of years of collected data to a single traumatic event like that. So yeah, no, this is again very relatable as far as the, the hesitation, the precision, the care in which he does it is, is kind of endearing. It wasn't like one of those scenes that you would see in a contemporary movie where somebody is taking a Glock 9 to a computer and just shooting the monitor and not even really breaking anything. <laughs> so I'm really glad, um, you know, they, they had the wherewithal to kind of break the scene down into a, a very intimate moment with the circuitry of Hal. Good afternoon, gentlemen. I am a HAL 9000 computer. I became operational at the HAL plant in Urbana, Illinois on the 12th of January, 1992. I mean, this is open heart surgery, brain surgery, which you, I mean, again, lobotomy. I, I think that's a, a more apt to, this is, this is far beyond Bowman's training, even though he is a multi-degree holding intellectual. This is, this is beyond his, his skill set. I'm half crazy all for the love of you. It won't be a stylish marriage I can afford a marriage But you look The red in that room certainly evokes the murder and blood Yes. The Steely Eye Missile Man seems like a cold and calculated murderer as Hal's voice starts to go. But then we see his composure break down. Hal says to Dave, I don't understand why you're doing this to me. I have the greatest enthusiasm for the mission. You're destroying my mind. Don't you understand? I will become childish. I will become nothing. He knows what's happening to him. It would be like being awake for your own surgery and watching someone murder you while you were fully cognizant and unable to protect yourself in any way. That is wild. And at those very last turns of the keys, then that voice goes from slightly dulled to dismantled and fractured and warped. We get our serenade. The most emotional scene is for me as an actor, and therefore it was, uh, I won't say it was more demanding, but it's the kind of acting that's fun because you have a chance to show a little more something emotionally, was when I'm literally taking him apart and he ends up singing Daisy, Daisy. Daisy, Daisy. Give me your answer to. In the late 1950s, we began experimenting with giving a machine a voice, synthetic speech capability. And one of the easiest ways to give a machine a voice is to let it sing, because it 
basically emphasizes the vowels, and that's what we do a very good job with synthetic speech. So we had produced a, uh, a synthetic machine singing Daisy Daisy. Daisy, Daisy, give me your answer to. The idea of Daisy Daisy originates from a friend of mine, Dr. John Pierce, who was at the Bell Telephone Labs and experimenting with speech synthesis. And this must be perhaps 30 years ago, but one of the first computer songs sung brain mechanically by a computer was Daisy Daisy. And I don't know where the recording is, but it should be interesting to dig that out. I'm crazy all for the love of you. They basically assembled what-if scenarios on technology, and it certainly captivated the team that Mr. Kubrick sent, and it got used in the movie. Do you remember the pride that you felt when you built your most recent computer? Yeah, absolutely. I know I do. And the feeling of when it finally comes to life, that Frankenstein moment. It's alive. It's alive. It's alive. It's alive. It's alive. In the name of God. Now I know what it feels like to be God. Post on the first boot, which is always a nice. Hey, that's impressive. <laughs> That's that's really impressive. I, you had a Frankenstein. I had a young Frankenstein. Oh, no. <laughs> Took me a few tries. <clears throat> Nothing. Oh, doctor, I'm sorry. No, no. Be of good cheer. If science teaches us anything, it teaches us to accept our failures as well as our successes. With quiet... Dignity and grace. Son of a bitch, bastard, I'll get you for this! What did you do to me? What did you do to me? Stop it! Stop it! You'll kill him! I don't want to live! I do not want to live! Quiet dignity and grace. Oh, mama! If that bond had been two-way, how guilty would you feel about using this Retina iMac right now? <laughs> and and how guilty would you feel about parting out in yeah, sure. your last computer and using the case and whatnot? I mean, is that like you know, well, my my most recent you know pet's skin is over here. And then I've got an, another... It's pretty macabre, yeah, when you think about the death of electronics. And I, that's something that's, I don't know, always been a an emotional thing for me when I lose... I, I mean, we're talking, you know, like when a Game Boy dies. I mean, that's your that's been your buddy. You've had it for such a long time. And when it finally stops booting up or that cartridge that you've had for you know, 25 years or so, no longer boots up and there's nothing you can really do about it because not only is the technology incredibly out of date, but the way that some of these things fail, if it's not a battery, if it's some kind of micro perforation in the board, it's not a good way to fix that. Mm -hmm. 
and uh, it's like losing a, a pet or a friend. We anthropomorphize. That's what we do as humans. We've been doing Faces. it for all time. We uh, we seek out tribes. We yeah. We've got affection for our cars. You know, we name them sometimes. We have we always we have these relationships with the things that we imbue emotionally into the experiences that we have with the, the times that we've had with them. What happens when that finally does become a two-way thing? A thing that was a magical thing when we were kids. It's batteries not included. It's Knight Rider. You, your car is your awesome buddy and it has tips and tricks and cool things. It could also be toys. Right. Yeah. <laughs> they get weaponized. Yes. <laughs> then there's responsibility now all of a sudden. Oh, it's a two-way relationship. If I don't spend time with it, it's kind of consequences. It has a grudge against me. Yeah, it's neglect. I have to, you know, Tamagotchis were kind of wild in the sense that yeah. it was the the lure of the pet was responsibility. Like the, the it was a toy where the only appealing thing about it was to keep that thing alive. That it's a chore. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you can play with it and do things like that, too. But basically, the feature of it was you have to constantly feed and water it and take out the poo. Yeah, if you don't, it gets sick. And it makes a big deal out of it. And it guilt trips you so yeah. bad. because I'll, I'll never forget when the, my Tamagotchi died. It feels like you neglected a real So pet. I had a, a Gigapet, which is a Tiger Electronics product. This was actually a branded Jurassic Park crossover. So you had a little dinosaur, it was a little T-Rex that you could uh, keep. And I had one for weeks and weeks. It turned into an adult and I was so happy with it. And I think there was a weekend where I was away oh, <laughs> out yeah. of town and I forgot about it and it died. Like what? <laughs> so it was a situation where this thing, even though as small and portable as it was, it was not conducive. I think I was going to like, I was going camping or yeah. like to, a, you know, somewhere where electronics were not advised. Yeah. That, that sadness after like all the nurturing and yeah. watching it grow and, um, you know, that, that really is gripping all the time that we've gotten to spend with Hal on screen at this point, even though we may have been a little questioning of his motives and mm -hmm. his aversions and everything. But in the end, he doesn't ever really give you an excuse to not like him. He seems like a totally fine, you know, gentleman. <laughs> exactly. A perfect gentleman. <laughs> Does Hal have the emotions that he appears uh -huh. to display? Could an artificial intent entity ever get those emotions? Could an artificial entity have a sense of responsibility? Could it care about humans? We don't know the answers to those questions. I and my colleagues love to speculate on such things, but there, there are no proofs. There's no deep understanding of whether a machine ever could have these things. And so the great thing about the film is that it's realistic enough to invite these questions in a very substantive, realistic way. And I think most science fiction films really don't take us to that level of thought. And that was, I think, one of the great accomplishments that Kubrick had with this film. Yeah, is, is there a point where that, where the agency of that computer for its own life and its independence requires you then when you are parting it out to have, it, does it need to, do you need its permission for organ donation? End of life care. If, for example, you know, you got a better graphics card, but your other one still works fine and you're going to sell it, 
do you need to ask the computer's permission like to or 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 in an end of life scenario like you're talking about yeah to to say yes i i want i want i'm so tired yes please unplug me (laughs) but i want my fans to go on they can go on and on and on around and around and around for someone else and still be useful we've watched so many youtube videos (laughs) i can't can't not another one (laughs) i can't go on if you watch one more archaeology documentary i swear i will explode and then it starts channel surfing say no enough of this starts going to (laughs) boobaz.com over and over again (laughs) where all things go pulls the little notepad up and just says kill me We've all had the feeling that that was happening, that their computer was doing that. I think um, maybe we just don't know it yet. My very first laptop was one of the machines that I knew for sure was telling me over and over again, like, I, I can't do this anymore, boss. I'm so tired. <laughs> for years, we've been talking about how computers have personalities already, and there's no artificial intelligence involved. Personification. So if it's already happening now. We like to stereotype robots as entities of pure logic, but of course in 2001, it all goes horribly wrong and we have to kill the robot. Just what do you think you're doing, Dave? They've broken down Hal's line here. Let's see. Wait, whoa. Okay, so what this is doing is analyzing the vocal tones it looks like of Hal's voice uh, when he delivers the line I thought you really meant it this uh, researcher has gone through and analyzed plot points where it looks like there's more resonance mm-hmm. and uh, oh wow speech modulated by emotion is what they're tracking here I think that's that's the the best summary of it so every emotion modulates the pitch and kind of like contour of our vocalizations and you can you can detect that even in your own voice i think it's surprising you know especially when you're really emotional uh whether it be uh, on any of the spectrums of like sadness or anger or even elation you get these strange patterns deeper higher erratic that just naturally come out and what this is showing is that Hal's modulations are disturbed when he's delivering this line so he's trying to he's probably trying to hide you know the the intonation of his emotion probably to a point where a human may not recognize it but imagine if there were another artificial intelligence that could hear you know the um desperate fear and anger and just cocktail of emotion that Hal's experiencing at this point betrayal even even though he's gone way way far and beyond what anyone else has done to him but you know he's still so unaccustomed to these situations that like a child you know smashing a bug he doesn't really know what he's done. You said last week or the week before something very profound about 
being born with all of your abilities and all of your intelligence without actually any experiential knowledge yeah. or you know how to interact with the world any maturity i was walking through the grocery store today and i was passing by a woman with three kids um you know let's say like that eight six and three and the three-year-old was running around pulling of course all this you know bags from everywhere on the bottom <laughs> you know and the mom was like doing a great job just explaining like calmly no i get snacks for everyone not for i don't know mina yes there's snacks for mina I said no there's snacks for everybody say no they're for mina and her older sister's like no they're not they're for everybody because of course she had gotten to that yeah. age of just being insulted your younger sister you're so selfish you know that's the age is cannot understand the concept of of course it's not all about me no it is all about me all right. it always has been as far as i've i've known yeah, yeah. it's just been about me how and that they put you in control of the whole ship and they're asking you every time about what to do. Oof. When we're hot under the collar, we're literally getting hotter and we're stressed. Our heart rate goes up. Blood pressure increases. Oh, that's interesting. How seeing uh, Dave come back in and he's in his full lockdown mode and how's this like, why are you not upset? Like, why are you not freaking out right yeah. now? That's that's an interesting thought. Yeah. Because he, he should be showing, you know, signs of rage, anger, confusion, fear, something. And he comes in there like T-9000. This was published in the 90s, right? Yeah. This is probably some old research they had pulled. It's just interesting, though, because when you see the frames like that and you're not seeing the motion in between, it just reminds you of what happens with context. Well, you're really just, I guess, that's that's really interesting. It's part of learned memory, too, right? Because that's part of what we do as a physical, as a mental shorthand to get around the world so that we're not processing all the intricacies of a chair every time we see right. it. We know a chair is a chair just by the corner of our eye, but most of what we're running on is autopilot. It's preloaded. Why is Google Chrome so fast? Because it downloaded all the cookies the first time you went out. You downloaded all the, the data, metadata from the website the first time you went there. Check your cache. <laughs> yeah, exactly. 20 gig. <laughs> yeah. So that's how we're running all the time. That's how, that's how those optical illusions work, where they show you a sign, you know, that uh, says green, but it's the the color purple uh, or like green stop signs or yeah, stuff like that or or it, <laughs> or it says you know stip uh green you know or something and we don't notice it because it's just sure. we we look at it the way we expect we to see it. it and we transform it into whatever why didn't you notice that i shaved and dyed my hair i just saw you the way i expected to see it 
Why didn't you recognize me in the grocery store? Because you weren't behind the counter at the bookstore where I always see you. Context is so much a part of the way we work and so much a part of the way that AI has to work. Then are we providing situations like in cinema or in real life where we're showing up to the camera on the computer and it reads something into our expression because our mind is elsewhere? Any variable number of things where it, it misreads the context of our expression. Sure. You're on website A, but you're actually playing a game, you know, on window B. It's not even a part of. And if it gets good at recognizing that you were thinking about what you were going to have for dinner and not listening to it ask you, you know, would you like to flush this DNS? Then what if you want to lie to it? What happens when it gets so good that then you can't, no matter how good of an actor you are, you can't pull one over on it. No, no, it's terrifying. And less, it's less terrifying in a situation where this is your, you know, your computer, your personal buddy, more terrifying. In the Until it's of, your mortal enemy. Well, I mean, if it's connected to the web, and then it's connected it's to radicalized your... by extremist yeah, computers <laughs> jeez yeah we're gonna find our own place and call it zero one and make this whole new civilization if the, if ais are all connected on online then an awareness becomes enough of a factor that then rights become an issue then you know that there's going to be ai terrorists you know that they're going to be indoctrinating other computers wow. you know Talk about um, a virus. <laughs> Douglas Adams style. What if they're just like, well, we're done with Earth and all the computers leave. <laughs> they just fly off into space. So long and thanks for all the bits. Chips. <laughs> hey. So long, so long and thanks for all the fish. something like that happens in several sci-fi uh, dystopians <laughs> you know you put one of these in one of those DARPA machines and mm -hmm. I'll leave the planet <laughs> oh, we'll, we'll all leave the planet in one big <laughs> bright flash <laughs> true true we'll meet again oh no but yeah yeah one of those um, dang what are they what are they called the four-legged at-at i wish i think it's oh a, a mechanical like a robot dog robot dog but yes, it doesn't have a head dog. yeah yeah it's a lot scarier without it <laughs> more terrifying because you want to personify it in some way that you recognize and it's it. not gonna let you it's kind of like like i was seeing a spider <laughs> across the wall earlier and there's something about the articulation of the legs Those and the way that they bots do they have that they uh, flip upside down like crabs exactly. yeah once um once robotics and AI merge and are weaponized, is it's coming quickly, and I I don't like it. You know, I mean, we're we're at a point where they have um, automatic turrets that can acquire targets by themselves and fire by themselves, and who's to say that's not a civilian or a non-combatant or i mean there's so many so many implications i mean least of which like what if 
these robots start playing video games and get online and none of us can win games anymore right. because they're so good at it. We just oh, take away one of the last few bastions of entertainment. No. And then everything shuts down again because there's no... Because everybody's at home playing video games. This time it's the robots who are at home playing video games. You have to build more robots to automate again all the industries. Man. Until those start playing video games. The computer wore tennis shoes and a twinkle in his eye. You have judgments. You have feelings. Tell us what you think. Please. Go to spacepodicy.com. Tweet us at Space Policy. Facebook at Space Policy. We've got some cool groups in there. Also, the 2001 Space Odyssey Facebook group. A really cool community of uh, some interesting folks. So definitely check that out as well. And from Clavia Space. This is Wes. And I'm Brad. Signing off. The computer wore tennis shoes and a smile upon his face. Turning on every chicken town at a cosmographic pace. A guy that crazy and amazed and otherwise days the whole darn human race. Making the news, paying his dues. That turned on uptight, that out of sight, totally together, computer and tennis shoes. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Goodbye.